We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy yourself. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happened. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 2019's Bliss, not to be confused with 2021's Bliss, starring Owen Wilson. No, this is written and directed by Joe Bigos. Here's a clip. Nikki's pushing me to drop your pieces. I'm going broke. I can't live off of nothing. And I can't live off 10% of nothing. I haven't finished painting in three months. Try this. Closest thing they got to a pure, uncut mix of cocaine and DMT. I started painting again. I don't know, something came over me and then it all just started pouring out of me. I don't even remember doing it. Like you blacked out? It was like I was possessed. I mean, that's good, right? Yeah, it's great. Tell me, Des, do you think it was the bliss or the blood? Whatever you gave me, just let me know so I can kick it with something else, because I am not well. I feel like I'm dying. You're not going to die. Trust me. I saw you painting in there. I saw your uh, inspiration all over the counter, too. You know what's wrong. You don't give it up. You can't. That was a clip from Joe Bigos's Bliss, a somewhat horrorish movie, I guess, vampire movie. We're going to get into this. Uh, this is a very strange movie. Uh, joining me, as always, to talk about this is Ricky D. Man, I really hate it when a director's name ends with an S. Joe Bigos's. Yeah, I don't like having to say that either. <laughs> I was really concentrating. It it just sounds so odd on a podcast. <laughs> I had to make sure I didn't screw that up somehow. Um, and also joining us, returning to talk about this movie, and in fact, who picked this movie for us to talk about, is <laughs> Simon Howell. Woo! 
How you doing, folks? Simon, <laughs> this movie perfectly represents how I feel right now because I need a bloody <laughs> haircut. Barber shops have been closed for like ever, and it's driving me nuts. I, I'm the type of person that cuts my hair every two weeks. Well, uh, if you're going insane, then this could be the movie for you. I, I feel like we should give a really quick, like at least the premise. This is about a uh, Bliss is about an artist who is struggling to finish a painting and decides to do a lot of drugs uh, in order to get some inspiration, I suppose. And it sort of devolves into more murderous stuff as uh, as the days go on and the painting progresses <laughs> that's a very uh, that's, that's a very uh, evasive plot description i, I appreciate that <laughs> yeah i don't want to get it i mean we're going to be spoiling this obviously for everybody but anybody who hasn't caught it if that intrigues you maybe you want to put this down for a second um simon you picked this film the first question i have to ask is why because <laughs> i was wondering that for like the first 45 minutes and then after that i was like oh now i get it <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you understood at some point um, so I, I have a, a bunch of things to say and I'll try to get through them pretty quickly as like, uh, as an introduction. Um, Bliss is not a movie for everyone. In fact, I would say it is not a movie for most people. It is not even a movie for most horror fans. I don't think, um, it's, uh, at, throughout the pandemic, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, like a lot of them, a, an, an almost criminal or like psychologically not responsible number and a lot of them actually most of them have been new to me a lot of them have been on shutter and by the way quick plug for shutter my favorite streaming service wonderful wonderful stuff they do there i love the curation um anyway i've watched so many goddamn horror movies over the course of this pandemic um and it wasn't until i watched bliss you know, I, I watched a lot of, you know, solid B-plus movies where I'm like, okay, decent craftsmanship, seen these kind of tropes before, seen these kind of characters before. If you're a horror fan and you've been at it for a long time, you know, you you develop a, a, a spidey sense for like, okay, this is my kind of thing. This is in my alley. It's like, you know, being a metalhead and you're only into certain subgenres, certain stylistic uh, currents or whatever. Bliss is one of those movies that I watched it and immediately knew that it was one of my new favorite genre films. Um, I've made a list of people this movie is for and people this movie is not for. And I'm going to go through them really, really quickly. Uh, people this movie, who this movie is not for. Um, people whose favorite thing about movies is when it has lots of themes. Uh, this is not the movie for you. Uh, if you're really into elevated horror, like the A24 stuff, and that's like your main thing that you like, you will not like this movie. Uh, if you're epileptic or photosensitive, holy cow, do not watch this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, if you wear earplugs to every concert you go to, you're probably not going to like this movie. <laughs> if the average price you pay for a concert is over 15 American dollars, you will probably not like this movie. Uh, <laughs> this movie is re not really for virgins uh, or epileptic virgins, more specifically. Um People who need their movies to be clever or, like, do irony or sly winks to the camera or, like, you know, riff on on what they're trying to do and, like, be postmodern, none of that, not for you. Uh, if you need your movies to be relatable and find characters that you identify with, uh, probably not for you either. Uh, lastly, if your problem with uncut gems is that there is too much yelling and swearing, <laughs> do not watch this movie. Um, <laughs> people who should watch this movie, again, very quickly... Uh, Grindhouse and DIY fans in general, 
uh, people who understand that smoking is both cool and looks cool. Um, <laughs> if you're a practical effects fetishist, definitely watch this movie, All In Camera Effects. We can get into that later. If you're a metalhead, an ex-metalhead, a punk, an ex-punk, a dirtbag, a reformed dirtbag, a failed artist of any kind, uh, definitely watch this movie. And also, if you're into, like, Abel Ferrara, the Safties, or any kind of urban scuzz in your genre films, or any kind of films, also watch this movie. If if you think you're in any of those groups, uh, then keep listening. And if you're not, uh, I don't know, I mean, keep listening if you want, but this movie's probably not for you. All right, before you jump in really quick, Rick, to give me your impression, I'm going to just say where I fall in your... I don't fall in any of the recommended <laughs> categories. I don't I don't fall in every one of the, like, don't watch this movie for you thing. Um, but at the same time, I have to at least say, like, for 45 minutes, I was like, I don't like this person. I think this actress is trying too hard to be this person. Like, she's faking it. I can tell she's faking it. And, I mean, I, I knew people like that. I've known people like that. I didn't I didn't buy it from her. And I was like, why am I watching these horribly unlikable people do all this stuff? Then 40 after about 45 minutes, it wasn't torture or anything. I just didn't quite connect. Then after 45 minutes, when hell breaks loose, I was like, whoa, now all of a sudden this became one of the most entertainingly kind of hilarious movies yes! out there. <laughs> like yes! I was loving it after about 45 minutes. I was like, oh, okay, this this is definitely I can totally jump on board with this. And, I was so sure you were both going to completely hate this movie. So no, <laughs> that's a relief. It, it took a while, but after, it, like I say, about halfway through, I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one particular scene which will go down as my favorite scene, and I'm sure you guys probably can even guess which one that is. That's where it kicks into gear, and I was like, yeah, okay, now I'm totally on board. Uh, Rick, what, what did you think? I think I agree with Patrick. I struggled with the movie for the first 45 minutes, despite the fact that I just loved the way it looked and the editing and the camera work, which we can talk about soon. But I really struggled mostly because of the actor and because of the dialogue or lack of dialogue, because she basically just screams the F word every two seconds. Unconvincingly, too. Unconvincingly. <laughs> yeah. And Simon, on your list, you actually said it's not a movie for people who dislike uncut gems because of all the screaming and yelling and because the movie was so loud and uncut gems was i think my favorite movie of that year which is maybe louder in terms of like the dialogue um than this movie because adam sandler just i think he's a bit more shriekish and annoying than her character in some regards i don't think the actress does a terrible job i don't think she does a good job i think She's not really given material or dialogue to work with. I feel like it. I'm not, I wasn't on set, so I do not know. But I would be willing to put $100 down and bet on the fact that she wasn't given much dialogue or direction. She was allowed to improv. And I think it felt a bit lazy in terms of writing the screenplay, in terms of like the dialogue. I don't think it's very uh, creative to have an actor just swear left and right for 45 minutes and scream. But anyways, I know that's not really the point of the film, but here's how I would pitch the movie to a friend if they're curious to watch it. So for me, Bliss feels like a companion piece to Near Dark, the film directed by Catherine Bigelow. But, but, if it was directed by Abel Ferreira and the screenplay was written by Frank Hennenlauter back in the 80s. 
Ooh, I can see that. Yeah, it's like a fever dream in the style of Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void or Climax. So it mixes sex, drugs, and heavy metal and punk music. It's a splatter film. It's a punk splatter fest. And I love movies like that. So like Patrick, I think I like the second half of the movie more than the first half. In fact, I love the second half of the movie, especially the final scene. The climax itself is mind-blowing. And you could tell that this dude, like, man, he's like, he's a director to watch out for. I have not seen his first two movies. I do want to see his first two movies. Um, this dude, man, like, I would put this movie in the same category as Mandy, the Nicolas Cage movie directed by Panos Kosmatos. Uh, who also directed Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I would also put that movie in the category of this new f- wave of psychedelic, trippy, like, horror films. Um, but there's a movie called Starry Eyes, which was released in 2014. Yes. That is the most underrated horror film of the past 20 years. I think Starry Eyes is one of the best horror films I've seen this century. So if you do like Bliss, I highly recommend Starry Eyes. For me, that film is better in the sense that the characters are not annoying. They're likable. And <laughs> there's actually like good dialogue and just a good screenplay. Finally, in terms of the themes, like thematically and the story itself, it reminds me of two movies. It reminds me of The Devil's Candy. And that movie is fantastic. It's the same, uh, it's, it's directed by Sean Byrne, the same director who directed The Loved Ones. And it also reminds me of Contagion, but not the Steven Soderbergh film. The other film about a girl who's, se- a woman who's sexually assaulted, and afterwards she slowly turns into a zombie. So if you like any of those movies, uh, I think you will like this movie. But yeah, this is a real trip. This is like, this is like a crazy movie. And you know, the thing that really sticks out the most is the camera work. And I was blown away that it was shot on 60 millimeter. I love the look of 60 millimeter. Mm-hmm. So I love the look of this film. And he relies heavily on, I think you call it mounted car shots. So basically, you attach the camera to a stick or a tripod, which then you attach to the actor. And so the camera floats in front of the actor's face. So it's sort of like a reverse POV shot. So instead of getting the POV shot of the actor, you get the shot of the actor, like the actor's face, like a close-up of the face. But because the camera's mounted to the actor, has the, has the actor moves, the camera moves with the actor. And so it's like this reverse POV shot. You've seen it in a lot of music videos. He uses it throughout the whole entire film. And that, along with the handheld camera work and the neon lit scenes, I mean, the, the colors in this movie, like the color palette, the color lighting, the, the gels, it, it looks gorgeous. So I love the look of the film. It reminds me of like Dario Argento meets Gaspar Noe. The, um, I have a few things to say about all the stuff you just said. One of which is, yes, I think another group of people who should see this are Mandy fans or like anyone who's into that sort of like new wave of like neo psychedelia because there's a big hit of that. Another group of people who should see this movie, aspiring filmmakers, especially aspiring genre filmmakers uh because as i mentioned before it's all in camera effects and if you read interviews with joe bigos it's very clear that these movies that he makes and he made another film called vfw which i can talk a little bit about later uh around like just after this one and um he was talking about how he wanted to shoot that one on 16 as well but it would have cost them one day of shooting 
and they couldn't they just didn't have that wiggle room like these he's his movies at least so far these are like movies built out of thin air and like a prayer basically um and uh i think that there's a lot that filmmakers can learn about uh, economy and also it's to any horror, like aspiring horror filmmakers who are out there ask yourself does your movie need to be longer than 80 minutes long does it really um, and if you think the answer is yes, you're probably wrong. And this is a lesson that Joe Bigos has also learned. This one is the minutes on the dot with credits. Fantastic length. So I, I, I love your, I love your list. We should, we should use a list more often, but if you had to use one word to describe the movie, what would you use? Like I would use the word grimy. Oh yeah. I was thinking scuzzy. Um, but, uh, I, the other, uh, I, the other thing I, I wanted to quickly say was, um, I was, I was looking up reviews uh, right before I uh, like right before we recorded, as I as I sort of figured, it's a very polarizing movie. But I really liked this opening line from uh, Christy Lemire's uh, one and a half star review for RogerEbert.com. Um, <laughs> for better and for worse, Bliss truly makes you feel as if you too are suffering from a narcotic-induced hallucinatory freakout, <laughs> one that leaves you physically exhausted, mentally spent, and ultimately wondering what the hell just happened to you. Uh, this is from someone who did not like the movie, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> oh, and I want to say something about Dora Madison. Uh, well, she's credited as Dora Madison here. I think she usually goes by Dora, Dora Madison Burge. Uh, I, the, the, the change of name is significant because if you've seen her before, there's probably only one reason. And that's because you watched Friday Night Lights, in which she played a devout Christian teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and um i don't know like i this is uh, she's in i think she may literally be in every frame of this movie and if not it's it's pretty damn close i mean she carries the whole movie on her shoulders and um clearly i i think patrick you were talking about how she reminds she reminds you of people that you have known like you have known this sort of person yes um, that is that is a feeling i had relentlessly throughout this movie of like there are aspects of her that remind me of me, but mostly she reminds me of people that I have known or encountered or been friends with or tried to be friends with or completely avoided being friends with. Usually and the I, latter for me. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I love that she is neither the hero nor the villain of the film. She's not, uh, you know, she's not prey or predator. She's some, she, you know, she does a little bit of both and it adds attention to the movie because I really did not know um, I think that a lot of movies of this particular subgenre, which we can get into what that is, I'm sort of being sly and trying not to say the V word. Um, I think I kind of already said it, though. Oh, did you? There Anyone you go. Anyway, attention, I, yeah. There you go. I mean, I don't know. Do you guys okay. actually know vampires in real life? Like, you keep saying I know I mean, people. No, 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 no. I, mean, I meant the, the, the personality type of the artist. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what um, I was going but like, I really did. When we were talking about the second half of the film earlier, like, I really had no idea where the 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 carnage was going. I think another problem that I have with a lot of contemporary horror films is, and this is just a maybe a symptom of having seen too many, is just like it's very difficult for me to be surprised or like unsettled or discombobulated by a new horror genre film. And I think that sort of the ambiguous positioning of her character on like a on a morality scale or whatever really added an element of chaos to that last half hour of just like, I don't know, like, like I, I really didn't know if the movie would end with her conquering LA or, <laughs> or like becoming a great artist or, 
um, or like not even making it to the final reel. I really didn't know. And and that was an, another great, great thing about this film for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the you would have expected them to go to the gallery at the end, right? The opening. And she would have been standing there lording it over with her secret of what she's done to get to this point or something like that. And it, that, that would have been the predictable way to end this movie uh, with her sort of triumph. But um, I like that they made it completely ambiguous. I actually like the character. I just want to make it clear. I don't think that she, that the actress understood this character. I guess that was my problem with maybe the first 45 minutes of the movie with her performance. Like, I don't think that she gets that person. That's why I said it reminded me of people that I knew, the type. And she just seemed to be trying too hard. But I think she really does come into it much better in that last 45 minutes. Like, she handles the chaos very, very well, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the other word I would use for this movie, if not scuzzy, is committed. Yeah, we should mm-hmm. actually just kind of like explain what the movie's about for anyone that's still listening. So basically, <laughs> she goes to a party. She has a threesome. So there's this like insane like sex scene, which hovers on the verge of like pornography. I don't know if this movie has like an 18 rating. But anyways, she is apparently bitten in the sex scene. And throughout the film, she transforms into a vampire. But because she starts feeling different, she has this craving she thinks it's because of this new drug that she was given called Bliss. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, she definitely senses that there's something wrong. I, at first, she thinks it's the drug, but she figures out fairly quickly that her friend, her uh, female friend, had something to do with this. Um, she does figure out like that it's not just Diablo, the uh, the version of Bliss that she got. Although she does, if I remember right, she goes after the, the dealer for a bit wondering if it was the drug she's just confused i think a lot of times she's just confused as to what's happening to her and once she figures it out it's kind of too late anyway and and by that point she's she sort of embraces it but not consciously because as she slips into being a vampire we should point out like she blacks out so she doesn't really know what's happening when she goes on her little murderous sprees we don't know what's happening because we don't know what's real and what's not we don't know if she's hallucinating or that she actually kills so-and-so person there's one character i think it's one of the dealers i'm all confused because there's two dudes that look exactly the same but he comes back at the end and i <laughs> thought she killed them but no she i guess she just bit him or is she no, hallucinating? that was her, her boyfriend that was her boyfriend ronnie right that, that comes back at the end yeah like he kill he she bit him in the leg and like in the achilles heel i think right yeah <laughs> and then yeah. she like then she ripped his head off but then he's back right it, it, stop me if i'm wrong here simon she did rip his head off right i did see that well it's like his neck <laughs> his neck snapped back right that's that's what i'm saying i thought she tore it completely off and that she was drinking the blood that was squirting out and i know this sounds crazy to anybody out of context but <laughs> well i think look as long as we're summarizing the plot of the movie we're missing a major dimension which is the fact of uh of the dora madison character being an artist who is you know suffering from a creative block uh, and not just that, but also, and this was apparently the major inspiration for the film, uh, Joe Vigos was was talking about having writer's block and, you know, having difficulty with getting projects funded or, you know, get off the ground. And uh, this is another great lesson for filmmakers. You have a case of writer's block, write about the writer's block. You never know what'll happen. At the start of the podcast, I said it reminded me a lot of The Devil's Candy. In that movie, mm-hmm. the painter has sort of like a mental block. And like this movie, it is a movie about like, I think it's a movie about mental illness and addiction, but it is for sure a movie about substance abuse. And it's a movie about an artist, in this case, a painter who's looking for some sort of artistic inspiration and I guess turns to drugs and things spiral out of control. 
yes. And also, um, one last lesson for, for, for filmmakers from this movie that you can pick up. I know that I don't want to rankle any in anyone's feathers out there. No, rankle, ruffle, ruffle feathers. You don't rankle feathers. Feathers are fine. <laughs> um, one more lesson for those people. Joe Bigos correctly thought that, okay, I want to make a movie about having writer's block, but I think that if I make a movie about a male filmmaker uh, who has writer's block, I will bore people to death. And mm -hmm. he was right. He was completely right. Honor your it's been done. It's been done too many times. That's yeah, why yeah. I, like I saw an interview with him on YouTube, and he was talking about that, how he decided to change uh, the character to a, a woman. And instead of being a writer, he decided to make her a, pa a painter, which is really smart, because visually you can do a lot with the actual painting, as opposed to some dude in front of a typewriter or a laptop writing a screenplay. So, yeah, I do think that, that her struggle, the main character, Desi, her creative struggle mirrors the real life creative block that many artists face. So that's what I do love about the film too, right? It's just my only problem with the movie really is I just personally hate movies in which the character is not given any clever dialogue. I think that the term that Christy Lemaire's uh, review used was terminally surly. And <laughs> I thought that was a great, a, a a great description. Show. And B, it's just like, I don't know. I think I really dug her performance just because I don't, I feel like often in films, you, you have seen this sort of character before, but usually she's the antagonist or like uh, a bit character who's like an irritant to the protagonist. This whole movie is like spending an entire movie with, um, with like a memorable side character who just like suddenly takes over. And, uh, and I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't recall seeing a horror protagonist who's so um, confrontational and just does not, um, I mean, wh whether or not the, the performance works for you obviously is a personal thing, but there's just a, a sheer don't give a fuck quality to both the film and I think mirrored in her performance that uh, really resonated with me. There's no attempt to make her likable or, or even Ricky, you were complaining about the lack of clever dialogue. I kind of love the lack of clever dialogue. <laughs> Because it's it just feel like I don't know a lot of the time when I'm watching horror movies, uh, people people workshop this like Whedon-y like patter that people have. It's like oh like rip witty repartee between people. It's like nobody fucking talks like this. Shut the fuck up. See, do you see what happens? I've started swearing. I think if she I think if she put on a better performance, she can get a lot done without using dialogue like she doesn't have to resort to using effort every time she wants to show that her character is frustrated for example or her character is angry it's like let me swear and let me use the effort every two seconds because i need to portray my feelings to me that's not a good performance and that's not good writing i think that's where they cop out and they they get lazy so as amazing as this movie is and we still have to talk about the practical effects i do think that's a major flaw and i totally understand why people don't like this movie because of the non-stop shouting from from the first frame to the very last frame it is a loud in your face assault your senses type of film and mostly because of her screaming yeah so the last thing i say about her character because i i actually do like the character so i'm sort of between you two i like the the character a lot i just don't like her version of that character i don't think the actress got that character and thus didn't put in a convincing performance for me when she's talking um Everything else I like about her performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think she, the actress did not 
get the attitude. She just didn't have the attitude of a person like, at least from my experience, I guess, of people like that in real life. Like she didn't convincingly portray that attitude to me. But when she's not talking, she's great. Like all the physical stuff that she does. And and I think the expressions on her face are fine too. That perma scowl, I think is, is totally fine. Like definitely seen that before, but, uh, <laughs> but that's when you cross the fucking street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, outside of that, I think she, I don't think she quite understood it fully. And maybe if she was forced to improv that that's also where it shows through. Like she just wasn't totally completely connected to that personality. But at the same time, I actually really like that it that we had a main character like that. And I don't mind the dialogue, actually, whatsoever. I just don't like her delivery of it. Um, yeah, I like the character, though. I like having somebody who I'm not necessarily... I'm not sure whether I'm rooting for them or not. Uh, in the end, I think the most sympathetic character is maybe her the boyfriend. But outside of that, there are no sympathetic people in here. Maybe the drug dealer, I suppose. I don't know. He seems like a nice enough guy. Even if you don't want to... Even if you don't want to root for her, the ending is fantastic that it would satisfy anyone who, who wants her to survive and succeed or not. I don't always need to root for somebody. I just feel like the, the movie has to be going somewhere interesting, and it did. That, yeah, that's I, the best part. Like, it succeeds I, I, because it goes there. I think not only do you not know if you're—I mean, or maybe people will just respond differently. I think a lot of people who, who vibe with this movie will be unironically, unabashedly rooting for her to do— whatever it is that she wants, whether it's finish the painting, murder every man in LA, uh, or just, you know, have as many orgies as possible. I think there'll be a lot of people who are just like, live your dream girl. But um, personally, I was, I did, I kind of felt the same way. I didn't know what I was rooting for to happen. Um, and, or, and whether I wanted her, you know, whether I, I felt like, okay, this should end in redemption or this should end in a, you know, a, a parade of gore or, or who knows. And, uh, I was very happy with what they landed on. I don't know, man. This movie reminded me of the King's Speech. Because when I was watching the King's Speech, that movie annoyed the fuck out of me. That the whole entire time, I could not help but wish that the characters would just explode. And there's a lot of exploding characters in this movie. There's a lot of melting. There's a lot of blood. It's bloody. It's gory. The practical effects are amazing. This is what the King's Speech should have been. Oh, by the way, uh, I, I, I want to mention this quickly because I, I don't think there's going to be a good time to mention it later. Uh, I can't imagine we're ever going to review VFW on this show, uh, but I did want to plug it. I don't like it as much as Bliss. Some people like it better. It's basically um, Green Room meets Hobo with a Shotgun uh, is the best way, or like Hobo with a Green Room, I think is how I put it on, on Letterboxd. Um, also reminds me quite a lot of The Warriors. It's way more of an overt um pastiche i guess uh to me than bliss but it's a lot of fun uh dora madison is also in that one but in like a bit part also both movies fe feature george went from cheers and we can't not mention that yeah i was gonna say why is george went in this well hold on a second he <laughs> you you told me this like earlier this week we we're talking off air but he started his career in horror films so he's just coming full circle oh did he yeah That's for cool. sure what has he been in George went. Yeah, it was kind of now. It was a little distracting to see him. I feel like, but he is his part is so small in Bliss here that it, it's not you know incredibly distracting. It was just a little weird. Well, he's also the only recognizable person in the entire movie. If you've never watched Friday Night, Night Lights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's an interesting choice, and like I say, it's such a brief moment that you're like, oh my god, that's that, is that norm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it yeah. is funny to think that this takes place in the Cheers universe. 
<laughs> it's just a retired norm who sits around playing poker in a in the den of a guy who deals coke. I'm assuming this is some sort of it was a coke mix of some sort. The drug, right? It was well, it's coke. definitely being snorted. So I mean, clearly coke, uh, coke, coke, and or coke laced with other things was presumably the inspiration for what bliss is. Yeah, possibly a coke heroin mix or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I, I haven't done all the drugs, but I've done enough of them to guess where he's coming from. <laughs> all right, so we get through that first half of the movie, which is basically her kind of driving around, trying to find inspiration, doing some drugs. Uh, or I guess maybe we should start with the the whole orgy thing. I, I think that, I mean, we're, we're calling it an orgy. It's really just a threesome. Like, let's not be puritanical. Yeah, uh, you're right, you're right, you're it's, right. Yeah. Uh, th that scene is either where... I think that's, if you're watching Bliss, I think that scene is only about 20 minutes in, 25 minutes in. Um, if you get to the threesome sequence and you can't ride with that scene, you should probably just hit stop because that's where the movie announced, like I was, you know, when that scene starts, you're like, okay, there's a sex scene, fine. And then it just goes and goes and goes. And mm. by the time, and, it, and, and as it goes, it gets more and more graphic. And by the end, I was like, I, I really don't know how far they're going to push this. <laughs> That's definitely where the movie completely turns. Uh, or not completely. It's the first thing that points you in the direction going. Because up until that point, it had seemed pretty tame with just sort of her being annoyed by everything. I'm actually watching a clip right now from the movie. <laughs> okay. This is the yeah. thing about the movie. I would love to watch this movie again, but On press mute. mute. Yeah. Yeah, no joke. And I do this, I actually do this quite often. Like, I won't actually watch an entire movie from start to finish and press mute, but there are times where I'll watch like a scene or two press mute because you just get soaked in the visuals and you realize just how gorgeous the movie is. And also, I don't know if we we mentioned the editor. I, I'm not entirely sure who the editor is, but this is one of the best examples of editing. And a lot of people might say it's style over substance. And a lot of people might criticize it and say it looks like a music video. I do think at times it looks like a music video. It works because of what the character is going through mentally and thinking. And she's clearly confused. And this movie is bonkers. I mean, this movie, like, you know, we, we mentioned Mandy. And I don't know, Patrick, if you've watched Mandy yet. It's one of the movies I do want to choose for the podcast in the near future. But there are, there's like one or two scenes in Mandy, which I would say is quite similar to bliss but like those two crazy scenes in mandy where you get a lot of flashing lights a lot of color gels a lot of red purple and nicholas cage going nuts that is the entire film of bliss almost the entire film like i would say like 90 percent of the film is like that scene in mandy if you know what i'm talking about uh i, I wanted to mention a few credits uh since we keep talking about people the cinematography is by mike teston again that's uh shot on six Shot on, I, as far as I know, I've only seen him work with, with Bigos. No, he's worked on, he's worked on so many movies, though. I've never heard of this dude. Has he? Yeah, check out um, his credits on Internet Movie Database. He's been working since 2005. He's worked on, like, over, like, 30 movies. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, shot on 16mm. It's a great, great look. It's got that grain you, you, you would want. All the grain, all the grain you could ever ask for is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, you mentioned the editor. That's Josh Etier did the editing and i yeah as you mentioned uh he did a great job i mean he's um there's a lot of um there's a lot of confrontations in tight spaces in this movie and um it can be tough to to make that stuff uh really pop i think 
and the, the combination of camera work and editing, I think, uh, is really, really tight in this film. It definitely is. I, I There was a movie that I thought of um, that you guys didn't bring up. Well, not because they're exactly the same. And I know there's a little bit of shallow similarity even in their plot. But for some reason, I couldn't help think of it. But it was the Neon Demon. For some reason, mm-hmm. just kept coming up in my mind. I, there's definitely some some reference. I mean... A lot of the filmmakers that I've seen referenced are people that I like or I like something by, but I'm not necessarily the hugest. And they do reference one of them. Gaspar Noé has, has made a couple movies I like and a lot of, a lot of hot, you say, hot garbage. When you say reference, the director has actually gone on record to say that he watched, yes. he watched movies directed by Aronofsky, Refn, and Gaspar Noé, and a bit of Scorsese nonstop while writing the screenplay. Yeah, for for anyone who complains about uh, film bros and like the film bro canon, this is another movie that will annoy you <laughs> because uh, <laughs> the reference points are not that different. There's one last movie I need to reference because if I don't, someone's going to get annoyed at us and possibly me specifically, and that's The Addiction by Abel Ferrara. Um, I mentioned Abel in which, Ferrara. Uh, yeah, we mentioned it, but we didn't mention that specific movie, which is about drug vampires. Yeah, we weren't at the point yet where we wanted to tell people it's a vampire movie, but yeah. Oh yeah, fair enough. But yes, um, I haven't seen all of the addiction. I'm gonna be honest, but I, but I, no, I, but I, I, I tried to get a copy in time for this review, and I just couldn't. But I did watch a bunch of clips. Uh, it seems to me like the concept is pretty similar, but the execution is not at all even close to similar. Did you guys, do you guys notice the wave of new horror films? Like, forget about the way it looks, but just in terms of like the actual central character, where not only is she the final girl, but she turns out to be, like, the killer. But she survives and she's the killer. What do you there, think, What movies are you thinking of? Um, I think that even movies not in this style are starting to trend towards that way. I, I mean, at the, at the end of The Witch. Yes, I was thinking The Witch, the Hereditary. She, she embraces the evil. Uh, at the end of The Light, like, in The Lighthouse. Yep. Robert Pattinson is the bad guy, essentially, in all of this. Yep. Um, Hereditary. There are there. Are, I know I just like went off on two Robert Eggers, the two Robert Eggers movies, but but yeah, Hereditary. I guess you could say as well. I don't know. I, the mom's not really sure what the oh, hell is going on. Oh, Midsummer for sure. Mid- Midsummer. Yes, yeah. there. Dude, for... there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm telling you. I like that we just spoiled like five unrelated <laughs> movies. <laughs> I know, but now we need to think of a. How do we coin a term for this type of film? The new uh... final is what you're looking for uh i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna think about that and see if i have a good answer by the end of this podcast <laughs> it is a tra- it is an interesting trend for sure because there aren't any there are, you're starting to run out of true heroes in horror movies like people that you it, the jamie lee curtis character from halloween isn't really something that people do a whole lot anymore i guess there are some well you know you know the reason why i thought of this i was talking to simon about this a few weeks ago so really off topic but not really i was watching nightmare on elm street 2 because I'm a huge fan of the series. And that movie has been criticized for being like homophobic and homoerotic, depending on who's criticizing the movie. Like if, you know what I mean? Like, but anyways, the point is in that movie, uh, I was telling Simon, like the main character is sort of like the killer. So they replaced the typical girl with a man or boy, a teenage boy. So he becomes like the final girl in a sense, but he's really to blame for all of the murders because Freddy's using him as a gateway to actually kill people. So he's actually the person that's doing the murder. So in the movie, he survives. So he's the final quote unquote girl, but he's also technically a murderer. So that's why I thought of this whole new wave of like, 
horror films that are are using sort of like a spin on that where yeah like the character that you think is supposed to be the victim sort of like like i think you said patrick she's not the hero she's not the villain she she's she sits somewhere in between yeah mm. and she's and i, I don't think anti-hero is the right word either i think what connects all these movies that we've just talked about is there's some level of complicity or perceived complicity involved with the main character and the predicament they uh, they end up in. I think Starry Eyes is another great example of that, where, um, you know, it's it's the, I mean, obviously, every, like, I'm not saying anything that happens in that movie is the, is, is you know, that character's fault. I'm saying that, you know, it, ha you know, the things that happen to her are a result of, you know, her trying to break into an industry. There's like, um, there's, there, there's, uh, you know, in the the model in the old slasher films, you know, was, you know, final girl, you know, her, you know, harassed and stalked and, and assaulted and sometimes killed by you know, a mysterious assailant. And I think people are just bored of the um, of the victim killer binary. I think people are bored of of simple, of, you know, simple victimhood. And um, I think that that's a good thing, to be honest. It's more interesting when the evil's not just coming from without, but just, there's the darkness is kind of within, and that makes your character have shades that I think that make them a much more interesting character. I mean, nobody's going to accuse, you know, Lori of being the most fascinating horror character of all time. She's nice to root for, but... No, and she's played by, like, a fantastic actress is the main e thing. Exactly, and that that helps bring a lot of sympathy. But as far as an actual character goes, it's it's more interesting to see somebody have internal struggle as they're dealing with something, even external threats. So the, a lot of these are, it seems like that's what they're going for. And another it, it, film that did this really well recently, by the way, is another very solid movie that's on Shudder, which I've heard no one talk about. Uh, Daniel Isn't Real. Very good little movie. Now, not a perfect movie by any means, but like if you're looking for a solid, uh, like sort of recent genre film entertainment, uh, that's a very, very solid one, albeit a much slicker one than the one we're talking about today. So it's crazy, like, people are going to walk away from this podcast with, I don't know, like about 10 movie recommendations at this point in time. <laughs> Excellent. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I think before we get to break, we also, we do need to, we'll probably talk about this more, but Simon, you had brought up the practical effects of this movie, and I really yes. want to get into the second half, because we've discussed, you know, the performances enough, and we discussed sort of the setup, but the second half of this movie is where things go bonkers, and what makes it so entertaining. So as far as, like, I think the practical effects is what does it for this second half of the movie. Not just that, but it, but clever camera work. So, Rick, you were talking about the uh, the, the shot, the reverse point of view shots, right? That's what's going to stick with me uh, from this movie is early on in the movie, I thought it the, the, some of the camera angles were just a little indulgent, kind of film schoolish. Later on, they actually serve the action really, really well and are super effective. That's when the look of the movie for me started to really take off. And a lot of it has to do with seeing like a guy's skin peeled off his finger bone, uh, wiggling it there <laughs> or all the real blood squirts. Uh, and then well, not real blood. Let's be clear. Oh, exactly. Yeah, sure. Uh, real liquid <laughs> squirts, but seeing her like rise up off the floor. I love that camera effect. I love the, using it for that, how she sort of like, almost levitates up off the floor like a vampire would like she almost has supernatural powers the camera was very very effective in conveying the nuts i don't I, I hate using the word supernatural because the movie does not have that feel to it it is more gritty it's sort of the power that the 
rehabilitation that she would undergo when she would lose consciousness, consciousness and become this vampire. Sorry, Patrick, I'm watching that scene right now, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident it was edited in reverse because I'm pretty sure she falls. I could be wrong. And in editing, they reversed it because I'm just like, how did they do that? Like, how does she get up like The Undertaker? Yeah, uh, I mean, I can talk more about that specific scene later for one of our regular questions. But um, the uh, I think it's important to talk about the practical effects be for two reasons. One, another lesson for aspiring filmmakers. Uh, CGI is expensive. And most of the time, unless you're like, very experienced at working with it or you happen to have like a tremendous budget it is going to look like shit you know what's uh maybe not easier but cheaper practical in-camera effects that look and feel like something you can see and touch yes but also i'm wondering if they use stop motion because there are scenes in which we see an entire head melt and it looks like stop motion but sped up Mm. Yeah, and that's fine. Like even even if they did, they're they're still using practical effects. That that's actual liquid goo. It's not just pixels melt. You know, simulating a melting head. And I think like I'm, I'm I also want to be clear. Like I know that there's like a to CGI that's been going on a long time. I'm not just saying that the practical effects are better because you know they look better, or I personally prefer them. Uh, it also helps sell you on aspects of the movie. And a, a good example is like when the carnage really starts up and uh, and Desi is really just on a rampage, there's a sequence where she gets back to the, the, the drug dealer's apartment and it's full of, you know, these burly older men who are all like twice her size. And, you know, she goes after them and basically rips them all to pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I can't imagine that sequence working at all or feeling like, like, to pull off that sequence, that like the, the the sheer physical discrepancy between Dora Madison and like these bigger, like she's like half the size of some of these guys, or maybe even smaller. If you're gonna pull that off, the practical effects really help because if if you're if you've just got like CGI gore and viscera flying around, it's not gonna sell you on her on how powerful she is. No, because they'll end up doing something. The weight feels all wrong when you when you do CGI characters. It, what 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 practical effects does is make a visceral movie feel visceral. You can't do that with digital. Yeah, it's I mean, or real. you can, but you need a shitload of practice. Yes, exactly, and it has to be very tactfully done, um, so that you know exactly which shots are going to have be augmented by what to make sure that it's not distracting for people. But in this particular case, you can believe they never they never try to outright like make her. I don't know. She's not going to pick up one of these guys and lift them over her head or anything. They never try to use her weight unrealistically. She is small, but she's also fast. And there's there is some power there that you can believe that, you know, she could, for instance, bite a guy's neck out. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we mentioned this before and I and I don't want to harp on it, um, even if you even if you don't like, I think. Dora Madison as like a you know a spoken performer. Or you think that doesn't aspect that aspect didn't work for you. I mean her 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 physical performance and like we don't talk enough about acting as a physical job, um, and not just a job where you say lines into a camera. Uh, the physical aspect of her performance I think is tremendous. But, but dude, that's what I just mentioned like about fifteen minutes ago. I, 
I agree and I disagree. I think the first half of the film, it doesn't work. I think the second half of the film, she sells it with her physical performance. I think the first half of the film, yeah. she's trying to sell it with this bad dialogue and swearing left and right and screaming and shouting that I don't think it makes for a good performance or good writing. But I will agree, the second half of the film, she's fantastic. It's a complete reverse. Mm-hmm. She's much better at the physical the physical parts of this. She's very, very good at the physical parts of this, I should say. Um, and the movie does a complete 180. It went from being something where I was going to be basically content to let you, Simon, talk about this movie for most of the podcast. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> to being uh, something where I'm like, okay, now I'm completely engaged in this. All right. Well, we have been talking for a little while, so we will take a quick break and come back with our five questions. But before that, here's another clip from Bliss. You want to know how I know you're not going to do anything well, about it? Because you don't have the fucking balls, and I'm giving you the chance. Oh, really? Get that thing away. Come here. Oh, oh, you don't want to go. Are fucking kidding me right now? You need some water or something. Want to go have a shower? Shut the fuck up! like a couple of children over here. Who the fucking got on me? He said he's gonna blow my brains out. I gave him the chance. I'm gonna hold on to this till you two calm the fuck down. Don't touch my gun. I'll put that damn thing away, would ya? Oh, do you feel old man? Yeah. Huh? Fucking huh? point! Keep hey. going! Oh, fuck that! Oh, dude! Oh my god! Fucking piece of you... shit! Oh my god, dude, fuck I was just fucking around! Fuck Christ, go the fucking turkey! Go outside! Go outside! Cool the fuck off, you fucking prick! All right, that was another clip from Bliss. We are at the portion of the podcast where we're going to ask our five questions. We're going to take a look at some specific aspects of this film. Um, we always start to uh, like to start out positive. I, I feel like we've been mostly positive. We, I think we just basically ragged on one one element of this movie, but uh, I hope we're gonna, we're at least trending positive on this. But Simon, what is your favorite scene from Bliss? Oh boy. Um, I mean, look. The, I don't think that, I mean, the fact that we don't even know how they did it exactly points to the greatness of uh, what you might call the climax of the film, where, no, it's not the climax, but it's pretty close, wherein uh, Desi finally decides, you know what, fuck it, the vampire thing, not worth it, don't care if I finish this painting, uh, and basically blows her brains out, or tries to, collapses to the floor, and then we wait a few minutes while something happens. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Ricky, with that mounted camera, springs right back up to life and carries on rampaging. And it all happens, I believe, in one take. And uh, no, no, yeah, no, it's I mean, not a one take. No. Well, at least it appears like it appeared like one take to me and I've seen it a few times. So uh, obviously a very effective effect. And there's a little bit of stop motion in that, too, as her head gets fixed. The mm-hmm. gaping wound in her head gets, like, sealed up uh, in a very cool, kind of twitchy, weird effect that you don't see too often anymore on, on live actors, especially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have anything to say about how deep it is or, like, what it represents about the story. I just think it's fucking sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think 
maybe we're all going to go for attack scenes here. I love the the scene at the drug dealer's um, house with the four guys playing cards or three guys playing cards, whatever it was. That, to me, that was where this movie all of a sudden kicked into a gear that I did not think that it had. And suddenly I was completely engaged in this thing for the rest of the movie and just, I don't know, I, I was chuckling to my out loud to myself at, at how kind of crafty some of the things were and how surprising some of that action really was. Uh, it's nice to be shocked every now and again. And that scene is where it first started. I loved the the whole construction of that scene, uh, just the, the entire buildup all the way to the complete release of it when she goes ape and kills everybody uh, in, in horrendous fashion. And like I say, I love the wiggling of the bone finger. <laughs> there was something about that that was fantastic as she peels off the skin on his hand uh, with her mouth. Yeah, she treats his fingers like they're chicken tenders. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> disgusting. And I loved it. Loved every part of that. Uh, Rick, Rick, what about you? My favorite uh, scene is really my favorite shot. It's the ending. It's the very last shot of the film in which she fucking explodes. Because not only just because it's cool. Which it is. And it's great practical effects. But it's because it enforces the... It, it really it really hammers down the message that this movie isn't taking itself seriously. Even though it's just really heavy, bloody, aggressive it still doesn't really take itself too seriously. And I, I remember I was talking to Simon about this off air like earlier this week, and I was telling him that the movie is very heavy. And what I was trying to say, because he didn't really understand what I was trying to say, what I was trying to say is like, it's loud, it's aggressive. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Well, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the heavy aspect is definitely like, um, so I, I watched this movie by myself, and then I watched it again with uh, my, uh, with a, a, my roommate and her partner. And uh, her and I have sort of the same background in some senses. And one thing that, that her and I agreed on is that the movie is so great at the feeling, even if you've never been a vampire, I personally haven't. Um, I, I have been, you know, out at one thirty in the morning at like a shitty punk show where, with, you know, where like all the lights are red. I'm like six beers deep. Everything feels and looks a bit wrong. And like, you just and, and you know you you know whatever you've got to get up in six hours to go to work or something like I don't know th this movie captures the um, the feeling of those misspent nights just just beautifully like I, I'm not, I'm not even just saying for a genre film I mean like for any type of film but but it's it's so funny it, it's that old expression like I feel like my head is going to explode when someone's under pressure when someone's not feeling good mm -hmm. in this case she literally explodes at the end of the movie so i feel like even if you don't like this movie and you're watching a movie like uh what's what's who was the reporter from rogerebert.com who didn't like the movie i feel like when you get to that final shot it's like this 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 relief right it's like she just explodes and by the way the movie's over so you can relax now and go write your review <laughs> you know what i mean it, it I totally might be the most cathartic like person exploding ever put on film because you are kind of relieved at the end of it you're like oh good thank god that's over well you know i i heard he's also heavily influenced by cronenberg and i haven't seen his 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 first movie but i was told his first movie is uh, heavily influenced by scanners i'm i'm I, the, the movie you're talking about is almost human which i'm like semi-convinced i actually saw at fantasia back in like 2011 and um, and God bless Joe Bigos, by the way, because when I read interviews with him, he's very upfront about the fact that his early films were totally like stylistic, like slavish, maybe not slavish, but, you know, they're like basically uh, an amalgamation of, you know, teenage influences. 
and not like personal statements, like, you know, they, you know, proof of concepts for what he could do or whatever, but not something he was like staking his reputation on forever. And I really appreciate his candor about like how his films have evolved and what he's learned. Because mm-hmm. some people, uh, you know, they can't take any fucking criticism about their movies and they're so precious about it. No, because they're true artists and, you know, they want to make sure original right and how could they possibly take uh, inspiration or, or even rip off other people's stuff i think uh, you know there, there's a certain group of people I, I would count myself among them as one you know when i wanted to be a filmmaker um you wanted to make something as cool as the as the movies that you saw when you were 16 you know that that's what i was going for especially when i was younger um all right uh shifting gears guys simon if there's one thing you could change about bliss what would it be um something i could change about i think this. there are a lot of choices but if you had to change just one thing i changed the title i'm sorry like there's too many movies and shows called bliss Tell you're right that. i honestly i think they i, I kind of think he shot himself in the foot with the title because it's just impossible to even find this goddamn movie and i don't really think that that has a whole lot to do the the idea of the drug bliss you see the name diablo more i referenced it more with diablo i know it was called bliss and they say it a couple of times but it doesn't really seem that vital to what the movie's doing i don't know it doesn't seem to me to revolve completely around that i get what he's sort of going for with the title but yeah i could have done without it uh rick what about you I would change the title of the movie. It's too confusing. Even doing a, a basic search on Internet Movie Database, it doesn't pop up. You have to actually type in the name of the, the director. And I yeah. would give the actress some dialogue to work with and better director performance in the first like, 30, 40 minutes of the movie. But it's a movie I would recommend... But I would warn people, like, you got to be in the mood to watch this movie. It is loud. It is aggressive. And just be warned. So I, uh, even though I didn't like her performance in the first half of this movie, I actually isn't, I wouldn't change that. And I'm kind of curious to see how I'll think the beginning of this movie holds up now that I know where it's going. Mm-hmm. But if there is one thing that I would change... I think this would be a very simple thing. I'm not sure if it would kill the mood of the movie. If maybe like Simon, you would think that this takes something vital from it, but I would remove a lot of the strobe effect. I do not, that would be the biggest thing that would prevent me from rewatching this movie. I'm not a big fan of strobe. I don't have epilepsy, but I'm still not a fan of it. I don't like watching constant blinking lights in movies. Uh, It's fine if it's just for like, a scene or two to emphasize something, but this has a ton of strobe and I would cut that down sizably uh, if, if I had my druthers and I would, I'd be fine with the performance, like leaving that in, not changing any dialogue. If I could get rid of some strobe, I think I would have liked this movie even more. Does that, would that change? Do you think that would sort of change it in any integral way? No, I mean, it, 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 it might, um, I think the strobe stuff, uh, spoke to me again as, as someone who spent too many nights in like dives, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it, at, at like at two loud metal shows and stuff. But I mean, I don't think it, I don't think the movie would lose that much if it toned it down a bit. No, even if it softened the effect, I think that would help. It could be used as a way to masquerade the low budget. We don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Cause the, I mean, this movie, like the, the camera, the camera moves pretty fast and there's a lot of quick edits 
and there's a lot of strobe. So it could hide the budget and maybe some of the practical effects that didn't really work too well, but look great on screen because of the whole combination of the lighting and the camera work and the editing. I don't know. Yeah, just to tone it down a little bit and see if you can still project that same vibe. Um, anyway, that's what I would go for. All right, Simon, who's the MVP of this film? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, all the people I just mentioned before, uh, Mike Teston, Josh Etier, I think did an amazing job. Obviously, there's no movie without Joe Bigos, who wrote and directed and whose soul is stamped all over this movie, I assume. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Steve Moore from Zombie, who did the score. Um, it's not like, I don't know, there's been a lot of sort of synthwave, old John Carpenter style scores. In fact, that's sort of the the... the this sort of score is very much the model for like new horror scoring these days, I think. Um, I think the score is pretty solid. I love the use of metal songs, but you've asked me to pick an MVP and I'm already lost. So, um, <laughs> uh, I'm, you know what? I'm going to give it up for Mike Teston because um, I think even not... You can just share stills from this movie and people will totally understand what the movie is. You don't even need to see it in motion because the aesthetic is so defined, and I want to give props to Mike Teston for that. I mean, I think that works for... I, there's definitely there's no question that the cinematography plays a huge part in the enjoyment of this movie. It's hard to pick a, a, an MVP in this one. This might be the most ensemble... Like, uh, I don't know. I'd want to attribute this movie to a bunch of people more than almost most. There's, there's very... There's not, like, an overriding presence here. But, Rick, maybe you can come up with something better. Well, I just want to quickly mention that Steve Moore actually did the soundtrack. He composed the music for all of his movies, but he's best known for his work on The Guest, which is a movie I also really, really, really like. In terms of the MVP, I want to choose Mike Teston, who is a cinematographer, except in an interview with Joe Bigos. He says that the entire room and apartment where she lives and where the the other characters live are it, it's basically it's based on his own home like apparently his home is covered with neon lights and strobe lights and i don't know what it looks like but in the interview he kind of made it seem like he paints his walls different colors and and so i think it was really his choice to use specific colors and to use those specific camera shots. And I'm looking at the credits here in Into the Movie Database, and he actually was the camera operator throughout the film. Not He he shares the credit with three people, but there are some scenes where he actually picked up the camera and, and did some of his own filming. Plus, he's the writer, again, the director, and I'm pretty sure he sat in the editing room and helped with the editing. And she's wearing his shirts, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he was saying in the interview. He's saying that not only is it, like, my home, not only is, is it, like my vision not only is she basically playing me and the character is supposed to be me but she's actually wearing my clothes so i'm gonna go i'm just gonna give it to the director i mean yeah it's hard enough to do that i'm gonna at least give a shout out yeah i'm gonna give a shout out to the visual effects guy brandon christensen i i am assuming that he at least uh made a lot of these himself because the they're being convincing has so much to do with me for why I enjoy this and why I was laughing at this movie so much. Not la- I don't want to see laughing at it in a mocking way. That's not what I was doing, but laughing I, as I was watching it. Uh, a lot, a lot of surprising effects that came out of this one, and I enjoyed them immensely. Yeah, 
I just want to shout out Joe Bigos for raising the $8.50 he spent making this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's gonna be, I admire stuff like that, like guys who can, who can do that and shoot something quick. Oh, that's a great story, though, about how you say they, they didn't have an extra day. They could not squeeze in one more day into their uh, production schedule. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I'm not sure how to go about this question exactly, but we, we always do the Howard Hawks question. Uh, a great movie uh, can it is something that would have three great scenes and no bad ones. Um, could this possibly fall into that? We'll find out. Simon, what do you think? Man, Desi that. would... Desi would fuck up Howard Hawks just for asking that question. Uh, and uh, I think it totally passes. And she his head off for good measure. <laughs> I don't know if I could go with the no bad scenes because I feel like early on I'm going to try to think of one. But Rick, Rick, what about you? Do you think this passes? I feel no. Like, I feel like I can't necessarily pinpoint a bad scene, but... See, the thing about this movie is, like, when I think of great scenes, and we're talking about three great scenes, and this is why the question gets tricky, and Bill Nessie was also making fun of us last week for asking this question. But anyways, it's part of the show, so I'm just going to answer the question. I think when I think of Bliss, like, in 10 years from now, five years from now, I'm going to think of it as one giant scene. Like, one big scene. I'm going to think mm -hmm. of the strobe light and the camera work and the climax in the last 20 minutes of the movie. It's such an unusual film that I don't think that there's like three great scenes in a sense that they're so different. You know what I mean? Like the great scenes in this movie are all so similar that when I think of great scenes, it's scenes that I can quote and remember and that stand out. And the thing about this movie is that it stands out in a sense as like an, as a whole. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. So I'm, I'm going to say I, I get I, it. I'm going to say it does not qualify for this question. <laughs> basically well that was part of the reason why i had a problem with asking this question about this movie is because i don't think of this movie in terms of scenes i guess so like you just basically said it's it's hard to think of it in terms of scenes i i think there's there's stuff that's cringe cringy to me early on like i said i just don't like the lead act i, I don't like the performance and that makes it sort of like if for me, I would say no, but then I'm trying to think of like, okay, as far as scenes go, I, I don't know that I could point to a bad scene per se, but I don't like her performance. And so I don't know. I can't really say anything, but as far as, all right, Simon, maybe we can narrow this down to some scenes. So three great scenes and no bad ones. What are your three great scenes? I mean, I think, didn't we just, I think I honestly, all the, all three scenes we named in the previous segment, I think all qualify as, and there's some others that I think, um, I mean, to, to, to mention one other scene that I think uh, speaks well to Dora Madison's performance, uh, not that it contradicts anything either of you have said, that first scene with the with her dealer when he first presents her with Diablo, that is a great scene in terms of establishing character with small details. Like the way, they, the, the, first of all, the repartee she has with her drug dealer is not the repartee of a casual or inexperienced drug user. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think you're referring to good scenes within the movie. But like, okay, let me ask you guys a question. I know this might sound silly, but just flow with me on this, right? Okay, the movie Scream, Simon. Name a great scene from the original Scream. Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I literally don't remember anything from Scream except okay, for the opening. Simon, the I'm answer is confused. the opening scene. You're complicating the things, right? The opening <laughs> scene. That's the yeah. scene that people remember. It's iconic. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Bliss has a scene like that. 
like the ending is the only scene that I would qualify as a scene that people will talk about in 10, 20, 30 years in reference. You need to see this movie because of so-and-so scene, the ending. Not because of the opening scene, not because of the, the middle scene, not because of the scene when she's driving. That's why for me, it does not qualify as that. It does not pass the Howard Hawks test. I'm talking about great scenes, like the greatest, like iconic. And that's what we were trying to define it with Bill is what qualifies as a great scene. I mean, to him, he said when we first brought up that he thought it was a very low bar. You know, three great scenes and no bad ones to make a great movie. And I guess that depends on how you define great scenes. If you're thinking of something iconic, then, yeah, very few movies even have that, period. Yeah, I was um, going to say, like, that you've set the bar impossibly high. If, like, if your standard for a great scene is, like, the opening of a guy who's been making, like, from a film of a guy who's been making, like, you know, legendary horror movies for 30 years like i just don't think that's a fair bar no but the, the 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 whole point of the question if i'm not mistaken and again we go back and forth on this on the podcast each and every single week we don't know if it was godar who first said it or howard hawks but the idea is like we're trying to nitpick and 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 choose like the greatest of the great like the greatest movies and the greatest scenes and like last week we talked about the outlaw josie wales which is a movie that i'm like lukewarm on i don't think it's by far Clint Eastwood's best movie, or it's maybe one of the hundred greatest Westerns ever made, but it's not like I'm a top 10 or 20, but that movie has like three scenes that I can easily quote and remember. Like I watched the movie yesterday. Like it, it, it's in, ingrained in my memory. Bliss will have that final scene, that climax. And that's it for me personally. So I, I for me, I'm saying no, I'm just saying no. Okay. And it's hard for me to actually pick. I can't come up with uh, I mean, I see like you're the, the scene with the drug dealer. I will, that necessarily a great scene i although i don't have any you know i don't really have a lot of frame of reference for that scene but there were little things that bugged me about it like how he's naming the drugs as he's throwing them down but then he doesn't name diablo and that's clearly for a dramatic pause so that they can actually like introduce it as something special and it just sort of it just sort of bugged me a little bit about that um but it does have two great what i would call great scenes i do think that the the attack of the drug dealer's apartment is great, and I do think that the ending scene is great. I'm not sure that I can find my third one, and I know I can't point specifically to a bad scene, but I don't like the performance in, such the, in the first half of the movie. That bugged me, so I'm, I, I'm not sure that I can qualify it as great. But again, this is, this is what I think makes this question interesting, is it forces you to try to really nail down what you think is not merely just good, but great. Um, but that can also lead into our next question, which is, we kind of went through it. Simon, you had it, actually you thoroughly went through this. Who is this movie for? So I guess we can kind of skip that one, because I think you pretty well you know, answered who this movie is for. Yeah, and so usually when we skip the question, we would replace it with, what is your favorite line of dialogue or your favorite camera shot or moment? And I think my favorite moment is the ending when she explodes. So we kind of covered it, at least from my point of view. Well, I guess, uh, I mean, what I would pay, if I was going to pick a moment, I think it would just be, you know, the first time that she rises off the floor, which is in the drug dealer apartment. Uh, I'm just going to remember that shot because I liked it so much. It's one of those things that I would steal <laughs> if I, you know, if I ever made something, I'll just keep that, you know, logged in the Rolodex of stuff that I liked. Um, she gets hit upside the head with a bottle, falls down. It's when she first does the attack. You don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden she just like rises up like she's getting out of a coffin like Bela Lugosi or something. Um, it was a very cool shot. He he took it from Gaspar Noé, though. 
Oh, I, I mean, that's very possible. It's something that I'll definitely remember, at least about this movie. Like, when I think about this movie, that is one of the things that I'll remember, for sure. In terms of special mentions, the only thing I, I, I wanted to mention that we haven't yet is that uh, the painting that she's working on looks fucking cool. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's so good. I think it's even cooler, honestly, than the one in The Devil's Candy. Oh, for sure. Which was also, I thought, pretty cool. And even more central to the movie in that case. Well, yeah, and in, and in this case, like the actual movie, as the movie progresses and she kills more and more people, their bodies become part of the painting. And so the their bodies form her body. So the end result is it's her body. She's painting her, but her body is composed with the bodies of all of these people who died. It's it's freaking crazy. They're, they are part of her because she suggested their blood. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of thematic stuff going on with that painting as well. Like, you know, that's how an artist, you know, succeeds based on, I don't know, the the the, the corpses of others. Essentially, you're draining you're draining life around the world, out of the world around you, in order to create your thing. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of different things you can dive into with that. Yeah, well, and I think that the painting is worth mentioning because, as we know, like you know, the filmmaker is not a painter. He they commissioned a painter to do that. They had him. Uh, they had the painter, you know, photograph it at at all the stages of its development and sort of direct it as it was going. Um, you know, that, that stuff really actually had to work really well, and they nailed it. You know what? I'm actually going to give the MVP to the painter because that painting summarizes her journey, what the movie's about. Thematically, it all connects, and it's sort of the punchline, right? Like, yeah, she explodes at, at the end of the movie, but she explodes because she sees her vision brought to life the actual painting i think the painting is really it's probably one of the most important pieces of props ever used in a film like as an actual prop it does so much for the movie it's uh painted by chet czar by the way chet czar shout out to you last thing i'm gonna say is a special mention to simon howell for actually picking a movie that's on brand thank you <laughs> oh yeah i had so many other ideas that Ricky was just like, no, no one's going to want to hear that shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We should probably wrap things up then. Um, Do we want to go through the whole, I think we kind of, everybody kind of knows Simon and I aren't really online, but Rick, where can everybody find the podcast? Where are you online? Yeah. The easiest way is sortedcinema.com. It will redirect you to the archive for each and every single podcast episode. And um, all the links are in each post. So you can listen to the podcast everywhere from iTunes to Apple iTunes is Apple, but whatever. iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, you name it. And of course on YouTube. And um, the Twitter handle is either Goombastomp, Sorted Cinema, or Tilt Magazine. You know, and we never ask people to like or share, but, you know, or write a review. But hey, every once in a while, I'm going to say that. I, I'd like to know what people think. I don't know. Is anybody listening? Yeah, for sure. Leave us a review on iTunes. Why not? Yeah. it's. I, I think it would be fun. I, sh- I should quickly mention, we used to have a lot of reviews on our old feed, but we no longer have the old feed, so we lost about 55 reviews. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, the uh, the, the la- absolute last thing I'm going to say is, since I'm not on the internet, I will say, uh, sign up for Shudder, watch Bliss there, and if you watch Bliss because of us and loved it or hated it, hated it uh, by all means, leave a review on Shudder and tell us all about it. <laughs> I got to sign up for Shudder. I've been flirting with that idea for a long time now. I get free screeners from Shudder as a critic, and I still decided to buy a full year membership to support the actual streaming service. So, yeah. 
Yeah, the, I, and something I want people to understand about Shudder if they're not signed up for it is it's not just horror films. There's like documentaries and TV shows and art house films. There's a fucking Bertrand Bonello movie on there I haven't watched yet. Yeah, a lot of original <laughs> content for sure. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today's show. We will be back next week. Uh, we are doing Ready or Not. We will see you then. <laughs>